Wow. Man. Man. It's good stuff, huh? Amen. Thank you guys. Thank you for thank you for turning around on me. That was that was good stuff. Whew. The the two that I prayed for, I apologize for my cold hands. I had really cold hands. And then I started laying hands on people up here and it's cold. But I got heated up Amen. right there. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church, and, and we just appreciate you all so much for coming. There's a lot of places you could be this morning, but uh, you chose to be here, and we thank you for that. If I haven't ever had a chance to meet you, hopefully I'll get to do that at some point. But, uh, man, what a, what a good day already, huh? I got a long way to go in this message, and I got a short time to get there. But, but we've uh, we've got a um, every every first Sunday of the month, we like to pray over finances here at Cowboy Church. If you're here for the first time, we don't uh, we don't take a time to take up offering and and pass a a bucket or anything uh, to to get you to give. We believe that that uh, giving monetarily to a church is something, or to ministry, is something that God will tell you to do. He'll tell you how to do it, what to do. And so the, the place where we make a physical uh, way of, of giving to our church is right back here at these doors. You can give. There's a box back there you can give at. But we don't like to put anything in front of your nose to make you feel like you have to give something, you know, crumple up a dollar and throw it in there. It's always, you know, back in the churches I grew up in, you could always tell who was felt that their giving was really good because they'd pull that $100 bill out and lay it flat. But if somebody, if somebody didn't feel like they were giving real good, they'd take the dollar bill and crumple it up and throw it in there. So we don't, we don't like to put that pressure on anybody. We just say, you know, if you want to give here, be obedient. If God doesn't tell you to give here, be obedient. But give somewhere. Take care of ministry somewhere. Amen? So we'd like to pray over the finances. If you give by the way of uh, the, the, uh, our pay place on our website, whatever. I don't even know what you call that stupid thing. The, the, the give button and you take it out electronically or whatever, then we appreciate you doing that. But we want to pray over that real quick. So Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you delight in the prospering of your people. And so today, God, I just thank you that you give us the ability to get wealth, that you give us the ability to uh, have what we have been given in order to help give back to you, Father. I just thank you so much for that place that you have given us to give, the generosity in our hearts, and we thank you for that, and we praise you for it. God, I thank you that, that when your people give to you, you always, always, always give back to them, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Thank you, Father, for prospering us in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 Man, um, this morning, it is such an honor to have Melissa Fisher in the house and her family. Um, Melissa and Jervis are our missionary people. That's the missions we take care of uh, financially and in any way we can uh, help them out. They have a, a mission um, or a, a ministry down in Belize, and um, it's an orphanage and and they just they just love on people in Belize and and um, Jervis is a Belizean, right? Is that what you say it? Belize. Okay, Belizean. <laughs> Anyways, we we thank you guys for being here today. That's it's so awesome to have you in the house this morning. Amen. All right. Well, here we go. If you have your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two is where we're going to go first today. And and uh, last week I started a message about perspective and, and what perspective is. And, and, you know, everyone has perspective. Everyone has this ability to have perspective. See, perspective is formed in our lives. What we talked about last week, perspective is formed in our lives by experience, by life coming in front of us. I mean, uh, we, we all have uh, perspective. It forms, perspective forms the, our frame of reference for everything. For every issue of life, I know that I have talked to more people in here who have an opinion about whatever. 
you just have opinions. Everyone has opinions. Some people say everybody's got opinions and they're like armpits and without deodorant, they all stink. But the fact of the matter is our opinions are formed by our perspective and our perspective is expressed by our opinions. And so we have these, um, the, the, these perspectives that form our attitudes, that form our mindsets, our point of view, our outlooks, our beliefs. And then we become Christians. And when we become Christians, sometimes those, that perspective or those opinions compared to the Word of God need to be changed, Right? So, so, you know, when I became a Christian, I, I was, I had this, um, idea. I was, I was working on a cutting horse ranch and, um, around a bunch of rowdy cowboys and stuff like that. I'd been around rodeo stuff. And, and, um, so anybody ever seen the movie eight seconds, you know, one of the lines in eight seconds is, you know, from, from the guy, tough Hedeman said, we are loving, drinking, fighting cowboys. And he pounds his fist on them on something, you know, that, that was my attitude. I thought that that's what cowboys were just loving, drinking, fighting. That's what we did. So there could, there, there's no reason to give myself to Christianity because Christianity has no place for that. I grew up in church. Can't say that it did any good at that point in my life, but that was my attitude. And whenever I, uh, some people invited me to a cowboy church service that they're church was having. And I met this professional bull rider who was a Christian and he cast a whole new perspective on Christianity and the cowboy culture. And I was sitting there that morning, hung over from the night before, had to sit down before I fell down, not by the power of God, but because of the hangover. But it, I had to, when I found that I could become a Christian and still live in the culture that I was in, there was some things in the culture that I was in that began to have to submit to the, to the word of God, but it didn't change who I was in, in, in perspective of being a cowboy. I didn't have to quit cowboying in order to become a Christian. And so it changed my perspective. See, when we become Christians, when we become Christ followers in following after him, our, our perspective has to begin to submit to the Word of God. Amen? And so that's, that's what perspective will do in, in, um, when you're a Christian. Last week what we talked about is that perspective that God has of us is a kingdom perspective because He is living in the kingdom realm, the eternal realm. And that eternal realm is... God sees everything. He's seen everything from the beginning to the end, from the end to the beginning. And he has this bird's eye view. So he has a great perspective on life and you in the midst of that and how you can become um, more like his son, Jesus, by perspective, changing our perspective, living in a kingdom perspective. So this, um, the other day when I was studying this piece out, this, what we're going to talk about today <clears throat> is what originally put me on the path of talking about perspective, but I couldn't get to it last weekend without giving you what I had last weekend. So now I can push into that. Are you ready? Yes. So I was, I was thinking about this and how do I get to where I need to go with this perspective? And there was something that rose up on the inside of me, a scripture rose up on the inside of me. And I, I had to go look it up where it was. Is it this, the scripture that I knew is, is let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And I went back to that old thing. What would Jesus do? The guy that come up with that was a genius marketing wise. I remember you could go into the convenience store, 7-Eleven or come and go or something like that. Where I come from, it's quick trip. We could go into the, the quick trip, we'd go into the convenience store and buy a bracelet right there at the counter that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Man, that guy was smarter than the guy with post-it notes. You know, <laughs> that was pretty good. So, so that's what Jesus would do. We got to find what Jesus would do 
by saying, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That came from Philippians chapter 2. So here in Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. I think, there it is. I prayed for eyes this morning. I need some. (laughs) Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let this mindset become your motivation. Amen. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. I thank you that whenever we read the word of God, when we hear the word of God, anytime we uh, venture into the word of God, there is a blessing upon your word as we hear it. And when we hear it, your blessing begins to pour into our lives so that we can pour out that blessing on other people. We thank you. We praise you for, for today. And I just thank you so much for this message in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So 2020, I, I'm, I'm getting tired of preaching on 2020. Amen. But I'm going to do it again. <laughs> I, I'm getting... <laughs> thank you, Kevin. Um, I'm, I'm going to do it again because, you know, 2020 was such a marker on our life. There was so much impact that 2020, the year 2020, gave to us. You know, the, the, the preachers, as we entered into 2020, were saying, you know, perfect vision, perfect vision. Well, sometimes you got to see how blurry life is in order to get 2020 vision. And we have seen the blurriness of life, of what this world, what's happening in this world. And so, you know, everyone was affected. Everyone was challenged globally everyone was impacted by what took place in 2020, all this stuff from the pandemic, all the way down to the riots, to the, to the justice, to, I mean, around the world, it flowed, not just here in America, elections, elections, (laughs) elections. Sometimes we got to see how blurry things are in order to get the right perspective. Amen. So, you know, so many, so many questions It shaped that time shaped every one of us and is shaping every one of us. And so it's given preachers like me a lot of material to preach on. And so we, we preach on it. But here in Philippians chapter two, in verse two, he says there, so I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity. Say that in perfect unity. That was three of you. In perfect unity. That, the, that word, when you, when you go back into the Greek on this, the word um, perfect unity in the Greek is a Greek word called phroneo. Phroneo. It means to cherish others' perspectives. To cherish others' perspectives. The word cherish means to protect or to care for other perspectives. And then he goes on down there and he says that we walk together one harmonious, in one harmonious purpose. The word harmonious there in the Greek, I'm not going to tell you the word, but the meaning is forming a pleasing or consistent fullness. Harmony. I think about like, I don't know, the best um, example that I can come up with worldly is, is like a, Barbershop quartet. Have you heard of barbershop quartet? I mean, they don't, it's more acapella type stuff, but they, they, they begin to perform in four part harmony. They have different tones, but all the same key. And when they're doing that, all of a sudden there's this fullness that happens. That's what 
the Apostle Paul is talking about here, that we walk in this harmonious place. It's not that we're all on the same tone. It's that we are all in the same key. Amen? That's, that's what, you know, when, when you read the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are called the Gospels. It is a four-part harmony. They're all saying pretty much the same thing, but a little different, and they're all in the same key. They're all in the same idea. They're all in the same perspective, but the, each one of those writers wrote in, in the same key together. They don't differ from each other harmoniously. Amen? Are you with me? So he goes on there in, in verse 4 and 5. And I want to read that again. Verse 4 and 5. He says, Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. Are you seeing that happening in our world today? That people are more concerned with their own issues instead of blending or finding people to, to be in harmony with. Amen? And, and we're talking to Christians here. I'm not, I'm not talking to the world. The world, you can, you can just put it in your pocket that the world is off key. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But we in the church, we as Christians, we as Christ followers should be harmonious, even though we have different perspectives and different opinions at times. In verse 5, it says, And consider the example that uh, consider the example G, that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. Jesus didn't go around preaching his, his um, opinion. He went preaching his perspective from the word of God. Amen? He didn't go around telling everybody, believe in me because I'm the son of God. He just began to preach and the harmony began to happen as his followers came in and began to walk with him through different perspectives, but all in the same key. Amen? Amen. When, when I read this, let his mindset become your motivation, that word mindset is the same word, Greek word, for neo as cherishing each other's perspective. That was Jesus' mindset. That was Jesus' mindset. But see, today, every day, it seems like there is a different issue that tries to develop our perspective in this world. Even as Christians, there's things that happen every day. Every day for the past year, there is something that happens that tries to change our perspective. Because the perspective of the world that the world is trying to drive is a perspective of division. They're not trying to bring everybody together. In the name of trying to bring everybody together, they're pushing everybody apart. That's what this world does. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the spirit that's behind those people. The spirit that's behind the news media. The spirit that's behind culture, the spirit that's behind the government, the spirit that's behind religion is not the spirit of Jesus Christ. It is the spirit of division. That's why the church can have so many different denominations is because the spirit of division gets in there and pushes people apart. That is religion. But being a Christ follower, Christianity is about bringing things together even if you have a different perspective or a different opinion. When we have different perspectives or different opinions, it should push us together and it should help us to walk in honor because when we walk in honor, then harmony begins to happen. Amen. Preaching to myself this morning. Might as well get happy about it. <laughs> See, we should, it, it should be driving us closer, drawing us closer and let his mindset be our motivation. Amen. That division perspective creates cha a chaotic viewpoint. It creates a, 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 a divisive perspective. 
And that comes through our social media. That comes through ministers. That comes through mature Christians. I, I cannot tell you how many um, times I saw one particular post uh, that people, people that I knew weren't real mature Christians, but other people that were mature Christians, they, they copied and pasted this one post that said, you know, talked about the end times, talked about how Jesus was coming back, you know, what, you know, Jesus come back soon because of all this. I'm, they, they would say, they, they would say in that, I have studied the Bible all my life. And this is what I've come up with is the rapture is going to happen. The antichrist is coming. Absolutely that's happening, but it's not here yet. It, it will happen. I mean, the Bible says it will happen. But to jump on this bandwagon and start creating fear and division is not right. And so in, in the midst of what we've been going through over this last year, I cannot tell you how many times I've been asked, what is your opinion on the end times? When are you going to preach on the end times, Pastor? You know what? I don't have to preach on the end times because we're seeing it. And I believe that you got a Bible. Won't you go read it? Because <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, you know, are, are, we in the, are we in the end times? I think we've been in the end times since Jesus went to the cross and was resurrected. We've been in the end times. We're just closer. We're in the last days of the current times. That's my safety measure right there. We're in the last days of the current times. Because, because I have read the Bible and I've studied the Bible, I don't think that it's time for Jesus to come back now. Certain things have to be set in motion, and they are not. But these are the beginnings of those things being set in motion. And so when somebody asks me those things, um, I, I, really, I really can't stand there and tell you that I know what's going on. I just have to rely on, the, you know, the things that I learned about the end times when I first got um, born again. There was um, a man who was a great end times minister, and he, he preached on it in the 90s, in the, in the mid-90s. His name was Hilton Sutton. I got to sit in one of his meetings and he talked about the end times, talked about all the things that were going to happen, talked about the book of Revelation, talked about Ezekiel, talked about Daniel, talked about Zechariah, all these end times things and, and begin to culminate those things together. He's super smart. But now we're into the 2000s and it don't even, the things that he taught on, we're, we're having to teach them all over again because they didn't happen the way he said it was going to happen. And so that's the reason that I don't push into the end times teachings. I think some people are pretty smart about that. I'm not. I'm not smart on the book of Revelation. I've read it only because it says that if you read it, you'll be blessed. It didn't say read it, understand it, and you'll be blessed. It says read it and you'll be blessed. So I just read it. Didn't understand it. But the Jewish... Jewish perspective of the end times does not focus on the end as much as a new beginning that they focus on. They don't say that there is an end of the world. They say there's a beginning of the restoration of all things. In the book of Acts, it talks about, I think it's chapter 3, that talks about the restoration of all things. They believe in not the end, but they believe in a new beginning. So there's, there's a point at which current culture comes to an end, but they don't look at it as an end, a death. They look at it as a beginning, a newness of the next realm. The stigma that is of the end of the world, the quote, end of the world, drives an attitude of dread. I've seen that in our, in our churches. When they, people start talking about the end times, people get all, you know, they, they leave they leave the church and there's a crease in the middle of the seat where it puckered them because it scares the hell out of them. I got, I got saved in the Baptist church because some guy preached on hell in the end times. 
scared the hell out of me. <laughs> Thought I better, I, I better get right before I get left, you know. But that, but that stigma of the end of the world drives an attitude of dread. And dread, we, we begin to dread the things that we've heard, the persecutions and the tribulation and the suffering that's going to happen. And we just hope to God that we get sucked out of here by the Holy Hoover before that happens. We get scared that there's an extended time of suffering, a season of tribulation, or leaving our loved ones that don't believe behind in the midst of that stuff. But here's what I got to say to you. is no matter what times we are in, God is still good. Amen. And he'll never leave us or forsake us. Amen. The, closer we become, the closer we come to new beginnings and restoration of the time, there are different levels of events that must take place before the end can come or before the new beginning can be birthed. And so that's what I want to, that's, that's where I wanted to go in this message from the beginning. So if you have your Bibles, go over to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to see what Jesus says about it. I don't know, guys, I may have to extend this out till next week. Oh, shut up talking about it and get in there. All right, I'll do it. In Matthew chapter 24, when you read Matthew chapter 24, I want you to understand the harmony of the other gospels. Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21 have the same account, but a little different perspective of, of when Jesus began to talk to his disciples about the signs or the markers of the end, day, end of days, what we would call the end of days. And he began to break down his view, his perspective on those things that are going to happen before he comes back. And, and it's a global, he starts off in a global perspective. So in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, and I'm just going to kind of click down through here. And, and, um, and as I do, I'm going to stop on certain things that I need to stop on. Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, it says, Jesus answered, because his disciples had asked him about the, the signs of the end times. Jesus answered, at that time, Deception will run rampant. So beware that you are not fooled. For many will appear on the scene claiming my authority and saying about themselves, I am God's anointed. And they will lead many astray. They will lead many astray. He says the first thing that you're going to see as the times begin to wind down is deception. Christian, this is why it's so important for you to read your Bible. When you, get, when you get born again, get you a Bible. And when you have a Bible, read it. Get in it. It's about relation. It's not about a book. It's not about book learnings. It's about a relationship with who Jesus Christ is. Because the Bible in, in John and in 1 John says that he is the word of God. And if he is the word of God, everything that's written down in that book is him. And so having a relationship with Jesus through his word is what is so important. Because if you know what his word says, you're not going to be fooled by somebody telling you who they are. And telling you that they are him. You'll know who he is and who he ain't. Without a strong perspective of who Jesus is, we will be fooled. We will be deceived. See, there's a, there's a key that I learned in leadership. It's a leadership principle that says that if it's someone has to convince you that they're, that they're a leader, then they're not a leader. Amen. If somebody has to stand up and say, come and follow me because I am this, they are not that. Jesus was a leader because he was a leader. He didn't tell them all, I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. As a matter of fact, when Peter said, hey, you're the anointed one, he said, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Jesus didn't have to tell you who he was in order to, to cause us to follow. If someone has to tell you that they're the anointed one, then they're not. Let's go on in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. Where am I? 
It says, you will hear of wars nearby and revolutions on every side with more rumors of wars to come. Don't panic or give in to your fears for the breaking apart of the world system, systems is destined to happen. But it won't be, but it won't yet be the end. It will still be unfolding. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, have we heard wars and rumors of wars? Man, we're hearing it every day. We're hearing it every day around the world. We're hearing it every day. And he says, but don't panic. Don't give in to your fears. Don't let it scare you. You've got to stay centered in, in the things of God. Because he said, hey, you're, you're hearing these things. You're seeing these things happen. But it's not yet. It's not yet. Verse 7 goes on. Somewhere. It says, nations will go... Nations will go to war against each other and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be terrible earthquakes, seismic events of epic proportions, horrible epidemics, and famines in place after place. This is how the first contractions and birth pains of the new age will begin. He says, look, there's going to, nation will rise against nation. The word nation there is called ethnos which is where we get our term ethnic groups. He says ethnic groups will come against ethnic groups. Hello? Hello, we're there. He says kingdoms or governments will begin to fight against governments. And he said earthquakes will happen. Seismic events of all kinds, famines, epidemics. Mark chapter 13 says there are riots Luke says there's disorder and insurrection. Insurrection means violent uprising against authority. We're there. We're there. But then he goes on and he says, this is how the first contractions and birth pains of, new, of the new age will begin. He says, look, I, you know, I, I remember when Lynette was pregnant with our kids and when it was getting close to time. She'd be sitting there and she'd go, oh, uh, time me. I'd go to timing her because she was experiencing contractions. She was not overjoyed about contractions. She was hurting. She was not fun to be around. My wife has the highest pain tolerance of anybody that I know, and she was going, that hurts. And it kept getting worse and worse and worse as time came for, for her to give birth. And so you ladies understand us. Men don't understand, but I don't think we have to go putting electrical pads on our bellies to understand. We'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for it. I'm not passing out because I'm trying to be like you. But all these things, all these things that we're seeing right now in our day and time, all these things that we're seeing right now, are birth pains. They're birth pains. It's not yet. The, 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 the newness has not come yet, but it's coming. It's coming. It's not the end of the world. It's the beginning of the next realm. Amen. Amen. It goes on in verse 8. I, I just read verse 8, didn't I? Did. This is how the first contractions will begin. So then, at this point, Jesus begins to transition into a more personal perspective, not a global look, but a more personal perspective. Verse 9 goes on, he says, you can expect to be persecuted, even killed. He says, you can expect to be persecuted and even killed. For you will be hated by all nations because of your love for me. Then many will stop following me and fall away. And they will betray one another and hate one another. And many lying prophets will arise, deceiving multitudes and leading them away from the path of truth. There will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. I, I was reading this and seeing the, the persecutions and the things that we're not yet 
in our realm experiencing a whole lot of right now. They're pretty minor compared to what other Christians are facing over in the Middle East. Dying, being killed for, because they won't reject Jesus Christ and accept other religions. But it's getting closer. I heard just this week about a Canadian pastor. You, you remember, the, did you all see the video of the pastor that run the cops out of, out of his, um, uh, his assembly because of they were trying to put, make them put on masks and all that kind of stuff? And they invaded his place. And he, I mean, he ran them all the way out to the road. I mean, it's like Jesus running out the, the money changers in the temple. I mean, he almost had a whip and, you know, he was telling them, get off my property and things. What I heard this week is that the, that the judges put the, the, the authorities, gave them permission to go onto his property and arrest him if need be, to do whatever it took to bring him to justice make him follow what the government was telling. Heard of another <clears throat> uh, guy that was street preaching. I think it was in Calgary. He was street preaching, and the, the authorities arrested him and took him to jail because he was causing dissension. It's coming. It's happening. But we got to expect it. It's going to happen. There's no way to avoid it. Jesus said these things have to happen in order for us to get to the place where he can return. Amen? Amen. Sorry if that's bad news to you, but it's going to happen, and we need to be overjoyed about it. (laughs) Yeah. Verse 13. Verse 13 says, Jesus says, but keep your hope to the end, and you will experience life and deliverance. Yet through it all, yet through it all, Jesus says this, yet through it all, This joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the world, providing every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God. And after this, the end of the age will arrive. You know what he's saying to us? He's saying, don't get bogged down by the negativity. Don't get bogged down because people are going to come against you for for loving Jesus. He says, instead, preach the gospel. That's not talking about church. That's talking about the church, the people of the church going out and ministering the gospel because he said Jesus will not come back. Jesus will not come back until the gospel is preached to every human being on the planet. Amen? Amen? Amen. Keep your hope, he says. Keep your hope. What is hope? Hope is something that you do for an expected end. I mean, praying for healing, praying for financial increase, things like that, we have to keep our hope. We have to keep an expected end out in front of us for faith to work. Amen? So he says, keep your hope. Heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed to every nation, every ethnic group, every government. And after this, the end will arrive. So what I'm seeing in this day and time as a pastor in the position that I'm in, these are just the start. These things that Jesus is telling his disciples here at this, at this point of their, of their life, it's just the start of the days that we live in. We first have to experience the birth contractions, and it's going to be uncomfortable, but there is purpose for us in these things that are going on in our world the negative things, the, 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 the pressures, the, uh, the um, division that's happening in our world. These things have to happen, y'all. We don't get a free ride out of this deal. I was um, thinking about our church and what God showed me from the very beginning when we started this church. We started this church in, in uh, May of 2000, so... Here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating our 21st anniversary of being a church. And, um, you know, I, <clears throat> I heard something years ago in a leadership conference that said, um, the, the guy said, the local, church is the, the local church is the hope of the world. A local church is what we are. We're a, we're a, a, a church building full of people that come and, and get ministered to. We're the local church. 
but the local church is the, the hope of the world. Not the building, but the people. We're the hope of the world. And that's why Lynette and I began this church 21 years ago is because we believed that we are the hope of this world. Many people have come into these doors and many people have left over 21 years. We haven't attained everybody. I think there's only just a few that are a part of our church now that were here from the beginning, just a few. So all of y'all have just come in. And what I saw early on in our ministry is that Northern Colorado Cowboy Church, or N3C, is a church with a revolving door on the front that people come in, get equipped, and go out. And you know, some pastors get all upset when people leave the church that they've started. They get upset because some people have left. I, I, I don't see it that way. I see that people come in and get, get equipped to be able to do ministry. Now, we have people that leave that are mad, and we just let them go. But the people that really matter are the ones that come in, get equipped, and they go out. And I don't have a problem with that. That's what God has called us to do. So over in Ephesians chapter 4, I want to start closing up here with Ephesians chapter 4. Because this is what I see as the local church becomes the hope of the world. is because we begin to equip people to walk through the times that we're living in. To, to walk through the difficulties and walk through the things that are coming and that you're equipped in order to be a part of getting Jesus back into this place, back into this world. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle Paul is, is, is preaching here or ministering to the church in Ephesus about the purpose of the local church, especially being the hope of the culmination of the last days. And this is what he says. And this may sound real familiar to you, but this is from the Passion Translation. And it says here in verse 11, it says, And he, Jesus himself, appointed some with grace to be apostles, some with grace to be prophets, and some with grace to be evangelists, and some with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to, is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own work of ministry. And as they do, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function until we all attain, or until we attain oneness in the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God. And finally, we become one in, perfect, in a perfect man and the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed into the abundance of Christ. What is he saying here? He's saying, look, I've given you these people that will place a local church system in order for you to come in and be equipped in order to do the work of the ministry. A lot of times people come to church and wait for the pastor to do the work of the ministry. Well, the pastor, what he's doing, what the, the, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and teacher are doing is that they are equipping the, the ministers to go and do the ministry work out, out there. This is almost like an institution. This is almost like a school. This is a place where you come and get equipped and go out there and do the work of the ministry. The ministry's out there. I don't even, no, I'm not going to go there. I can't do that. I can't do that. I roll out too much carpet and I cannot put it away. But see, in the middle of these times, in the chaos, in the riots, in the social upheaval, in the political unrest that we're going through, it's easy to view the world that we live in through the lens of worry and fear and anger and judgment. It's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us Christians to get all wound up about the riots, wound up about government, wound up about whatever the case may be in our own country, this is going on globally. And we need to understand that we got to quit looking through the lens of fear and worry and anger and judgment and begin to look from the perspective of who God is. Jesus gave us one intended perspective, and that was kingdom perspective. That is his word. That is his word. And if we know that hard times are going to come, we can say, all right, I've been prepared for these hard times. 
I've been prepared with the Spirit of God. I've been, I've been born again, and I'm filled with the Spirit. I've been baptized. I've been resurrected. I've got all these things that I need in order to get the positivity, the kingdom into the world and not allow the world to override the kingdom. In Romans 14, 17, and 18, it says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink or what's worldly, but living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For if you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. Christians, we as Christians have a purpose. And that purpose purpose is to leverage the times that we live in from the kingdom perspective. And how do we do that? He has given us goodness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And what we have to do is begin to take what we've been given and begin to release goodness that God is present in difficult times. We have to release peace to those who are fearful, to those who are overwhelmed with anxiety and and depression. We have to give them peace to override those who are fearful. And we have to release joy to those who are worried. Releasing God's goodness, God's peace, and God's joy is what we've been given. Amen? Amen. That's what we've been given. That's the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We don't ask you to, to respond to the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that you can have a cool prayer language and so that you can operate in the gifts. All that stuff is great. But what we need the Holy Spirit is for is to release that goodness into the world in troubled times, to release peace where there's anxiety and release joy where everybody is so down and angry about everything. We've got to have joy. <laughs> We've got to have joy. We, y'all looking at me like you're sucking on a lemon right now. We got to have joy. And knowing that the goodness of God and the peace of God and his joy is being released by the people who it's been given to is what it's all about. Amen. I hear people, I hear people all the time saying, well, pastor, I was just born in the wrong time. I was born in the wrong era. Wish I would have been born a hundred years ago. You weren't and you're here. So this is what you need to embrace while you're here is that just like in the book of Esther, Esther had that same, she had that same attitude. She was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can step before the king. I don't know if I was born for this. And her uncle Mordecai said to her, Esther, you were born for such a time as this. So this is what I'm going to declare to you. This is what I'm going to declare to you. This is what I want your de- declaration to be is that you are a follower of Jesus on purpose. And you have come into the kingdom for such as a time as this. You are living. God, listen, God put you in this time because he trusted you with what he has in order to bring release of his goodness, his peace, and his joy into this world. He has given you that. And he has birthed you in this time for such a time as this. So when you see... When you see all this negativity on the news, when you see all this stuff on social media, you hear these people who are angry about this and that, man, release some goodness to them. Even if they don't want it, release it. Release some peace. Release some joy. Because you were born for such a time as this. See, God chose us for this time. To step into these times and lead the charge for Jesus' return and not to get swallowed up by the perspectives of fear and division. It's easy. God, guys, it is so easy. You, th- this world is like a river. You know, we're just cruising down the river. But when you come into the kingdom perspective, it's like turning or, around and going against the river. And when you stop going against the river, you start going with the world. <laughs> You got to turn that thing around. Going against the grain, going against the flow. It's tough. 
It's exasperating. Is that a word? Exhausted. And the thing about it is, is that God has placed you here to go upstream a little bit. It's going to be difficult, but you've got, you've got, you're not by yourself. You've got people around you that are going to hook on to you. Okay, come on. Come on. This is your purpose. Not to be swallowed up by the perspective of fear and division, but to have the kingdom perspective that comes through the word of God that rises above the times and births a new era. Amen. Amen. That's who you are. So change your perspective. How do I do that, Pastor? Read the word. The word of God is the kingdom perspective. And we have to allow that relationship with the word of God begin to change our perspective and begin to see things like God sees it. Yes, the bad stuff is going to happen, but you were placed in a time such as this to bring the good stuff to what the world needs. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. And thank you for this time that we live in. God, I do. I thank you for this time that we live in. And as a pastor, as a leader, things hadn't started happening to us in the physical in this country yet. But God, as things begin to move that direction, I pray. I pray that we would draw so much closer to you. So much closer to you. And understand that we were born for this time. So, Father, I thank you so much that you've given us as believers the ability to see the perspective of this world from the perspective of the kingdom. Father, I pray right now that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice in this room or listening by uh, podcast or listening by the, the Internet, Father, I pray for them right now. If there is anybody that has never entered into relationship with you, that they would lock eyes with you at this point knowing what you did, sending your only son to come and die on a cross and be resurrected from the dead to give us new perspective. Father, I thank you that he did that. Now, Lord, I pray that if anybody has never entered into relationship with you, that they would see it from Jesus' standpoint, what he did. This is not an invitation for him to come into our lives, but it's an invitation for us to come into his life. And as we enter into his life, we begin to see a new kingdom a new place, a new way, not a fearful way, but a faithful way. We thank you, Father. We thank you. If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ today, you've never entered into his life, I invite you to do that. All you got to do, see, Jesus said to his disciples, would you come and follow me? And they said yes. Jesus is asking, would you come and follow me today? If you've never followed him, say yes to him right now. Say yes to him. Father, I thank you for people who are saying yes, and I thank you for them entering into a new place, new perspective, new kingdom, a whole new address. That, Father, as they enter into the eternal, their whole eternal address changes when they receive Jesus, when they walk into his world. Father, I thank you so much for what you've done for us. I thank you for your great love that has been poured out on us. I thank you, God, that we have the ability to walk together in harmonious unity as one people going one direction, being in the same key, harmonious. We thank you. We praise you for all that you do and all that you are in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys for coming. Bailey, come on up.